Hey, this is Ed Luther, pastor of City Church in Australia. I hope that today's podcast really inspires you. Thank you so much for listening. Now we're going to look this morning at a really familiar parable that Jesus taught. In fact, it's one that uh, whenever I would preach in prisons, and I've preached in quite a few, they'd always tell me, just do not teach or preach on the parable of the prodigal son. Because everybody goes into prisons and they preach that parable in one way, basically, you're wayward, you're here, you're in prison, and uh, God's grace is for you. It's true, absolutely. But the parable is not actually about that, primarily. And if you look at those parables, and a parable is a truth that's uh, thrown alongside, a natural truth, rather, thrown alongside of a spiritual truth to bring that out and to illustrate that. Parabole, para means alongside of, where we get parallel from. It's, it's throwing alongside of a spiritual truth that nobody understands, something natural. Bole means to throw. So that parable that Jesus gave, he gave several of them, and they're really about one thing. God doesn't just love the chosen few, as in Israel. God loves the Gentiles. And Paul goes on in his revelation, he expounds on that big time in what we would call the epistles or the letters that Paul wrote. That God loves the nations. That's why our vision to grace the nations is not going to change. It's all through the Bible. And, And God commissioned a man named Abraham and he said, in you, all the nations will be blessed. But the nation did, as Abraham had offspring, the nation did what most of us do. We get blessed. We get covetous. We get selfish. We think it's all about me. Look at what my hands have done. We forget about the God factor and that you wouldn't have even a breath or a heartbeat if it wasn't for God. God gave it all. He gave it for purpose. He loves the nations. When I look at the the news, something in me just gets wrecked. When I see starving people in camps in Sudan and I see what's going on and war ravaged Ukraine and now Israel in the middle of it and, and all these things going on in our own country, even with the voice, and I think, well, there is a voice. It's God's voice. And if the church would do its job and grace the nation, starting with this nation, then there wouldn't be need for all this carry-on. But we're asleep for the most part. There has to be a passion. And Jesus gave two parables before the parable that we're going to look at this morning. And, and one, of those, one of those parables, we're not going to go into the other ones, but uh, he said, oh, it's like a, a farmer goes out and, and, he, and he's got a hundred sheep. If one of them gets lost, he goes after the one. So that's 1%. 1% is important to God. That's our commission to grace the nations. It's let's get out. There's, there's 7 billion or maybe 8 billion people on the planet. Most of them are desperate. In fact, 1 billion live on less than a dollar a day. 2 billion live on less than $2 a day. 
That is not God's plan for his people. That's not God's plan for humanity. It cannot ever sit well with us. The commission hasn't changed. In you, Abraham, in you, church, the nations of the earth will be blessed. They're cursed right now. But in us, they'll be blessed. That's the common mission, the great commission. And then he gives a second parable. He said, it's like a woman that had 10 coins and she loses one. And she sweeps the whole house. So it goes from 1%, now it's 10%. 10% is important to God. And then he drops down in this parable in Luke chapter 15, and we'll pick it up there in a moment. And he says, a father had two sons. One of them goes wayward, so it's 50% now. And I want to answer the question, and we're going to look at this parable in a different perspective, but I believe an accurate one this morning. Not so much from what it really is about, which is the Gentiles, which is Israel. Come on, get out and reach the wayward son. Reach out your hand. You've been blessed so much. Step out now. Take that blessing and, 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 and aim it toward, toward the nations. Grace the nations, in other words. Raise generations to reach nations. Don't think about hoarding that up and, and getting selfish about it. Because there's a wayward son that's out there that God loves. And that's the, not the, the frozen chosen, that's, that's, that's the nations of the earth will be blessed. But I want to look at something this morning that's very dear to my heart. And I want to answer a question. Because I believe there are people here in fact, I'll rephrase that. There are people that are not here that should be here. And the question is this, why Christians quit? It's an unusual perspective on a very familiar parable. Like I said, it's preached. In fact, I don't know that I've preached this parable before. I, well, I have, but not very often because it's so familiar. Most of you know it. You think you know it. And, and uh, it's like, oh, yeah, here we go. The parable of the prodigal son again. I know where he's going to land the plane. No, you don't, actually. And, and why do Christians quit? Now, we all know at least a dozen people, if you've been in church for any length of time, I would probably venture to say I, I know hundreds not just a dozen. I'm talking about people that started the journey, put their hand up at a meeting, gave their heart to Jesus. People who started off with a fervency, with a passion to follow God. And then they become part of a family called the church. And they make friends that have a, a common faith. And they become integrated into something that's going to change the world. And then they walk away. They walk away from their family, church family I'm talking about, from their friends, from fellowship. They walk away from the faith. I know what I'm talking about because I was one of them. I did that. I started off with a, with a passion, going to, this is, this is, we're going to change the world. 
and ended up, I don't know, two years later, sitting in a bar, pub, getting drunk, choosing a whole new set of friends, totally turned my back on the church where I put my hand up and said yes to Jesus, even though it wasn't in church that I did that. It was in a hotel room, but the church where I became part of a family broke the heart of a whole lot of people. Why? Why do Christians quit? Well, this parable brings some amazing things out, and I want to I just track with this this morning as we look at the prodigal son. In Luke chapter 15, you say, why, why does this matter? Because statistically, not everybody in this room is going to track and continue on with God. Statistically speaking, I hate to say that, but I started the race with so many people and so few of them are still going on with God. Not, not just not attending church, but not even serving or even believing in God. That's amazing. Luke chapter 15 if you're a parent here, this is important because you don't want your children to become prodigals. It's important that we understand why Christians quit. Why did this young man walk away from God? Luke 15, verse 11, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. And so he divided his property between them. Now, normally, that doesn't happen until the father dies. Inheritance is usually bequeathed at the death of, of, of the one bequeathing it. And so he divided his property between them. And not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. That's usually where the prison talk, the prison teaching, preaching on the prodigal goes because they're all there because they were criminals. <laughs> so the preacher has a field day on that one. He goes out and squanders all his wealth in wild living. So why did he walk away from father's house? Why why did he walk away from family and friends and, and the faith? Why did Christians walk away? And again, we all know so many people, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, I want to help you stay the course today. Clearly, this young man had another priority. If you're taking notes, you can put this down as point number one. He was very self-centered. Christianity, the faith, following Jesus will knock self-centeredness right out of you. If you're still self-centered and you've been in a church or a Christian for any length of time, you haven't been following the Lord. <laughs> if you're still thinking about you when you come to church, it's all about me. You, you're not following Jesus as much as you think you are. Oh, God will knock it out of you one way or the other. Life is going to play its part. 
But the Holy Spirit has a way of letting you know, subtly at first perhaps, but then he turns up the volume as time goes on, that this is not about you. And I, I know I talk about this frequently because I believe it needs to be talked about frequently. In fact, this message, I believe, could be part two of a message I preached a couple weeks ago uh, about discouragement and dealing with discouragement. One of the things about self-centeredness, it doesn't really go with relationship. You take a marriage, for instance, and uh, pick on the husbands because I am one, <laughs> but you know, husband, if your relationship is all about your wife serving your needs, if she doesn't do that, you're not going to be in that relationship very long. You're going to be out of there. You can't have a relationship that's meaningful and be self-centered. This young man, I don't know why for sure, he's in a household, obviously, with wealth. I'll find out about his father uh, a little bit later, but he's got a lot going for him. To walk away from that doesn't make sense. And again, when I think about Israel and primarily their, their attitude towards non-Jews, towards people that weren't the chosen frozen, to, 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 to not go out and, and to reach out and to renege when they've been so blessed. And I see church people, people that start the journey so blessed. I think about myself, so blessed when I started off, had no direction at all, hopeless, just thinking, I don't know what, why I'm even on the planet. So blessed with direction, so blessed with income that I hadn't had before, so blessed with friends that weren't just my friends because I was selling weed or something, so blessed. I walk away from that. What's the driving force? It starts off with self-centeredness. Give me what's mine. I want it, and I want it now. And self-centeredness leads into, I believe, the second reason that this young man walked away and why Christians quit is a lack of patience, or we could call it impatience. I want it now, like everything in life. And if God doesn't do what I want God to do, when I want God to do it, I get impatient, and I'm out of there. Sometimes we forget how many years it was between the miracles in the Bible. Sometimes it'd be a thousand years between you know, the parting of the Red Sea and some other major event. Sometimes it was a long time. And if you read Hebrews chapter 11, some of these people stood in faith and never even saw the thing that was promised. They died believing. What about you? <laughs> what is it right now that you're demanding, expecting, got to happen now? Well, maybe your self-centeredness has led you into an area of impatience. You have need of patience. 
Because faith with patience. Faith, yeah, with patience inherits the promise. Got that? Inherits the promise. This young man wanted his inheritance, but he had no faith and patience working together. He just demanded through his self-centeredness, I want it now. I see people walking away, and again, I was one of them, from the faith, because self-centeredness with impatience leads them out of fellowship. You can't stay in fellowship for very long if you're, if you're focused on yourself. I think about all the relationships that I have in life and, and how so many of them, perhaps the hardest is believing for people to change. Because a church, and I'm a pastor obviously, and a church is a collection of people from the community. Somebody said, oh, I don't go to church because it's full of hypocrites. It's full of people that do this and people that do that. I said, well, where did they come from? Who, who, if they're in a church and they're a liar, who made them a liar? The church or, or maybe, maybe it was society. If they're dishonest and they're in the church, the collection of people that end up here, and they've got other issues. Where did they get those issues? See, we're trying to fix up what society has messed up, and yet we get blamed. It's like a hospital. Go into the hospital. Trouble with this place, it's full of sick people. Well, of course it is. It's a hospital. That's what it's for. But the church is an organization that's unlike even a hospital. It's where the sick people have to get off their sick bed, their, their bed of, of affliction and infirmity, and go wait on other people that are sick. There's not one person in this room or any other room that's meeting today in a place called church that doesn't have at least one big malfunction in their life, including the pastor. There's not one. Nobody's perfect. And when I look at people, one of the things that I tend to, you know, I've had to cross this bridge as a pastor is you get tired of trying to help people and then seeing people stab in the back and walk out and all the other stuff. And you, you, you know what I'm talking about. And so self-centeredness has to get out of the way. This is not about me and a feel good. And then I have to become patient with people. I'm not patient. I want you to change now. <laughs> Come on, get it together. <laughs> Pull it up. Stop that behavior <laughs> now. <laughs> now think about this young man. Why? Why? Why do Christians quit? Why do they drop out? Self-centeredness, impatience. And then Luke 15, verse 14. After he had spent everything, young man, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. And so he went and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. 
you become like the company that you keep. Bad company really does corrupt good character. I know. And sometimes it's hard in church life because we don't have as much in common outside of faith. You might not like the same sports. You might not be involved in the same hobbies and activities. That's not what this is primarily about. It's the big thing. It's the big thing about following God. It's, it's the big thing about growing in faith. It's the big thing about character which hurts as it's shaped. It's, it's the big thing that binds us together. The frivolous thing about whether you like rugby league or AFL or gridiron or baseball or basketball or cricket or whatever, 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 doesn't matter here. That's not what this is about. If you want that, go and join a club. Go and play a sport somewhere. But church is about growing in faith. Church is about becoming stronger and being more like Christ. Church is about character. Following Jesus is all about being conformed into, the, into his image. That's what it's about. That's the main event. That's the game. The rest of it doesn't matter all that much. So we have a collection of people with the same goal, but we get sidetracked. We become self-centered. We become impatient. And then we choose company because of other things that don't really matter like faith does. Jesus called Judas friend. There's a scripture. In, and I thought, huh, he's the one that's going to knife you, man. Like, what are you calling him friend for? But I looked up that word. It's the same word that's trans translated comrade. A comrade is somebody that you have something common in. Like you both work for the same company. You both play football, whatever it is. Or you served in the military together. You're comrades. But that's not the same word for philos for friend. Friend is somebody that you value. Friend is somebody who, who you have the same core values with. Friend is somebody way different than a comrade. You can be working with somebody for 40 years but never be a friend. You're a comrade. To walk away from people that are not just comrades because you attend the same church or you're in the same denomination, to walk away from that And to turn to bad company who are comrades because you got something in common. To walk out on people of faith, somebody that would be a family member of faith to support you, that's not self-centered, that's, that's not impatient with you. To walk out on that, that's what this boy did. I think, why? Why do Christians quit? Self-centeredness, impatient, bad company. You know, you become with who you like who you who you hang out with. I I play on words a bit, but I work for companies in America, and I, I it, it was the same it was the same story everywhere I went. I, I'm all excited because I left the last company. My first company I worked for, San Diego Gas and Electric Company, and 
San Diego. And it wasn't long before the company that I kept in the company <laughs> would start to bag the company, the boss. Oh, this company sucks. You know, you'll never get anywhere working here. They don't treat people right. So what a terrible place. I'm thinking, man, I'm excited. I just got a job. America was in a recession at the time. Like, I worked hard to get my accounting degree. I finally got land a job. I got a car now. Uh, I'm going somewhere. And then, bad news. I'll never forget, it was like tribal warfare. Big office, a lot of people. The building was like 22 floors, the whole company. I thought, man, I can't take this anymore. People are just bagging everybody. They hate this company, yet some of them have worked for a company that they hate for 30 years. Still miserable. So I left. I got another job. I went to work for a company called General Dynamics. We made F-16s, fighter planes, cruise missiles, and submarines, and everything to blow the world up. I loved it until I got around the people that worked there, especially the ones that were there for a long time. And I heard the same choir that I heard back at San Diego Gas and Electric, this company sucks. The management sucks. They don't care about you. Over here in Australia, we'd say, we'd use the phrase fair go. You're never going to get a fair go here. And it was so miserable every day showing up, hearing the same chorus of people that weren't happy. And then I got a shock because the very household, which is called the household of faith, I heard the same chorus going on there. And then the, the movement that we're part of, Australian Christian churches, I, I get around some pastors and, and they, they're chiming and singing the same tune that I heard back in the company. You keep bad company, you're going to become like them. And so this son goes out and he joins himself to the citizen of another country. You are citizens, if you're born again and you are a believer, you are a citizen of the kingdom of God. You are not a citizen of this world. You are an ambassador representing Jesus Christ in this world. But make no mistake about it, if you're born again, you are a citizen of heaven following God. The rest of them can chime in, but you cannot hang with them and become like that. We're here to reach those people, but not become like those people. We're here to pray for our government, not to continuously bag it out. What are you involved in right now that you need to exercise some faith in? Why do Christians quit? Why did he quit? Self-centeredness, impatience, bad company. He walked out. Society is full of quitters. Churches are full of quitters. Listen to what Paul said in 2 Thessalonians 3, 6. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now he's getting serious. When Paul has to say that, in his letter to these people in Thessalonica, he's getting serious now. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you. This is not a good idea, guys. Eh, you know, take it or leave it. 
you know, just a suggestion maybe. We command you what? Brothers and sisters, talking to the household of faith, keep away from every believer, not unbelievers, every believer, every church person we could put in there who is idle and disruptive and does not live according to the teaching you receive from us. Why? Because you're going to become like them. Moses fought more than anything else, murmuring people. Miriam got leprosy as a result of that. Moses, oh God, take it off of her. It's a disease. Romans 16, 17, listen to this. I urge you, brothers and sisters, watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them. For such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetite, self-centeredness. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. Are you, are you a naive person? Most of us would go, no, not me. Good. <laughs> then watch the company that you keep. Psalm 68, 6 says this, God sets lonely in families. He leads out the prisoners with singing. That's what we're doing here this morning. But the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. Not a good place to live at all. Walk with people who are in step with where you want to go. Do you want to go where they're going? If not, don't walk with them. Reach out. Evangelize, of course. Be an ambassador for Christ, but don't hang out and become like people like that. See, people dwelling on problems, and the problem with this company, the problem with the church, the problem with the government, the problem with that, all that does is goes totally against what God's trying to do. God wants you to dwell on the promises. That's what faith does. If you're in an elevator... You want to get down to the basement, you push B for basement, it'll go down. God wants to take you up to the top floor with him. You're not going to get up to the top floor by pushing B for basement. And when you're talking problems, you need to talk up. Acknowledge it for sure. Talk about it enough to say, okay, here's the problem. Now, this is a solution. This is where we're going with this. And, and, and speak up. Don't hang around people that are talking down all the time. Speak up. What is up? Faith. Faith is a conversation that agrees with God. I believe the highest praise that we can give God is to line up with his word, with his promises. Get our vocabulary lined up with the word of God. Speaking upward. Take up the problem is only bragging on the devil. When you, when you talk the problem, all you're doing is bragging on the devil. When you believe in someone or something, you talk well about them. When you believe God is working in someone, you speak words of faith over them. Whenever you speak of problems, speak of them as changing. I know we got this problem now, but God, but God, but God, this is changing. When you talk about God's promises, you start to brag on God. You go up. Luke 15 Verse 16, he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating. But 
no one gave him anything. I don't, have you ever been to a pig pen? Have you ever visited a farm? We have at least one farmer in the house today with cattle. I don't know about pigs, but pigs, you know, they're pigs. They live in mud with poop in it and all kinds of stuff. They, oh, they just love it. Kind of like some of our dogs, you know. Our dog used to love it. He'd see something dead there. And, oh, this is good. I'll get that all over me. <laughs> Roll it around. And it's like our dog Enzo. It's like, Enzo, no! It's a dead lizard or something. It's run over by a car. The thing's stinking in the middle of the road. Oh, yeah. Oh, this is going to be good. It's like some Versace cologne or something. He, he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. That's the promises of the world. When he came to his senses, I love that, when he came to his senses. I remember when I backslid and I came to my senses. It's like, what am I doing here? Because it promises to fulfill, but it delivers nothing. You join yourself to a citizen of that other country when, when you join yourself to the kingdom of darkness. He came to his senses. How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? Here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. Verse 19, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Listen to me. If you've given your heart to Jesus Christ, you are a son or a daughter of God. This is not based upon what you can do to earn favor with God. Good works will follow your faith for sure. Faith without works is dead, but it's not works before faith is going to make you somebody better than you already are. You are a son or a daughter of God. He says, make me like a servant even. He didn't know who he was. One of my passions is to preach the new creation message. Who are you in Christ? Positionally, seated at the right hand with Jesus. How much higher does it get? The apple of God's eye. Not based upon your good works, your track record. Make me like a servant. I can't make you like a servant. You're a son. God doesn't undo that because of your behavior. Listen to this, Galatians 4, 6 and 7. Because you are his sons. Not going to be. God sent his spirit of his son into your, our hearts. The spirit who call, calls out, Abba, Father. So you, don't, you are no longer a slave. The day that you made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life is the day that you stopped being a slave to sin and a, and a slave to your behavior. When you gave your heart to him, you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. You don't have to go, give me what's mine self-centered person <laughs> you're an heir because you're a son because you're a daughter 
Romans 8, 15 to 17. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves. So if you're being a slave to work in your way into favor with God, stop it now. Quit. You didn't receive that kind of spirit that made you a slave so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship whereby you cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit. Thank God for the Holy Ghost. Testifies with our spirit that we are God's children, not going to be. And now if we are children, then we are heirs. <laughs> heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. He didn't know who he was. Do you know who you are in Christ? Or is your bad company, your self-centeredness, your lack of patience causing you to get discouraged? Luke 15 and 20. So he got up and he went to his father. I love this. But while he was still a long way off, no matter how far away you think you are, you're a long way off, but there's somebody that sees you from a distance. Notice the father didn't go and chase the kid down when he was eating pig slop. But as soon as you make a decision to turn around, he got up and went to his father while he was still a long way off. His father saw him. And this is our God was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, no matter what the kid smelled like, looked like, stinks, whoa. Threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. Here he is again. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. I'm no longer worthy. I'm not worthy. Shut up. It's not based on your worthiness. It's about he's worthy. It's all about what he did for you. Don't you get it? Why do Christians quit? Because they don't know who they are, and they don't know who the Father is. His love, his compassion, his mercies are endless. He is so for you. There's not one fiber of his being that's not for you 100%. Stop trying to be worthy and accept the fact that you are worthy. People who walk away, they never really knew who they were and they didn't know who he is. You don't walk away from somebody that you love. If you love church, you don't walk away from it. If you love your family, you don't walk away from your family. If you love your wife, husband, you don't walk away from her. If you love your husband, wives, you don't walk away from them. If you love your kids, you don't walk away from them. If you can walk away from it, you don't, you don't love it. The reason some people can't walk away from money. In other words, they can't, the, the distance between here and the plate. It's because they love it. They love it. So you, you can't walk away who, from who or what you love. Proof you don't love it, I can give it. Proof I don't love you, I can walk away from you. I can't walk away from you and say that I love you. People who don't know God that walk away, 
they become religious. You say, what does that mean? Religion is human effort to please God. It's what the next step is religion. Luke 5, 22 to 24, but the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. It doesn't mean much to us, but that ring represented authority. It was kind of like a credit card. They take the, uh, the stamp, that ring, and put it in the wax, and it meant credit. It means I'm authorized. It became authority. It was an authorization to go ahead and spend money. It was, a, it was something that was significant. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf kill it. They didn't have several. They had one that they were waiting for a special occasion, getting that thing fat and ready for a barbecue. Kill it. Have a feast and celebrate. The son of mine was dead and is alive again. He who lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. Some of us quit or walk out because our faith is centered on the wrong thing. For some of us, of course, you know, it's our bank account, the economy. We got faith in that as long as it's going good, our job perhaps, our health maybe. Some people have faith in their faith. You have faith in your faith, you're destined for a fall. There's only one focus of faith. Jesus nails it. He says this in, in Mark eleven twenty two: Have faith in God. If God's not the focus of your faith, then whatever it is that you're focused on is going to fail and let you down, even if your faith is in your faith. I come out of a movement that's made faith a God. Faith is not a God. God is God. Oh, look what my, my faith did me this. Your faith didn't get you anything. God did it. <laughs> Psalm 145, listen to this, 8 and 9. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and rich in love. See, this kid didn't know his father. He didn't know who he was. He didn't know who the father was. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger. This is the God, the father that went out there and met him and put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. The Lord, the father is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. Isn't that good? That's the father got to know who the father is. The son didn't know who the father was. Christians walk away. Christians quit. Why do Christians quit? They don't know the father. Micah 7, 18. Who is a God like you who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever and delight. You delight to show mercy. Why do Christians quit? Why, why do they walk away? The final thing, Luke 15, 25. Meanwhile, meanwhile, the older brother, the older son was in the field. 
is a person that's been churched. I've been, I've been saved 50 years. Well, that's, that's good. I've been in this church. Good for you. Bravo. <laughs> I've been Pastor Ed for 35 years. That's good, Pastor Ed. <laughs> that and $5 will get you a cup of coffee. Meanwhile, the older brother, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. Aha. Supposed to be in church. So he called one of his servants, one of the servants. Notice he didn't know what the father was doing. He didn't have a relationship with the father either. He was more self-centered. He called one of the servants. He asked him, what, what's going on here? The servant knew, but the son didn't. Your brother has come, he replied. Your father has killed the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. And the older brother became angry, refused to go in. God, help us. The longer you are in church, the longer you are following Jesus, the more like Jesus you should become. He gets angry and refuses to go in. Why do Christians quit? Sometimes they get angry because they're self-centered. They get impatient. They don't know who they are. They don't know, know the Father's heart. And they get angry when they see somebody else blessed. And so his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you. I never disobeyed your orders. I never knew your heart either. Yet you never gave me self-centeredness, even a young goat, so I could celebrate with my friends. But this son of yours, not my brother, this son of yours, has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. My son, the father says, you're always with me. and Everything I have is yours. Always with him, but never knowing him. But we had to celebrate and be glad. Because your brother, this brother of yours, was dead. And is alive again. Was lost. And is found. Why? Why do Christians walk away? Why? Why do Christians quit. Why? Why do people that serve God, follow God, had a passion, had a, a zeal for God, walk away? I pray. We're going to have communion in a moment. I pray that as you give your heart to the Lord, I'm going to have a prayer, give you a chance. This will only be a start, but I pray that you will get over self-centeredness. It's not about you. As soon as you give your heart to the Lord, it's about Him. And that you will run your race with patience. It's not a sprint. I'm not going to lie to you. Never would. When you give your heart to the Lord, that's the beginning of a marathon. It goes the rest of your life. Whether you get everything when you want it, the way you want it or not. 
You serve a God. He makes you a son or a daughter. As soon as you give your heart to, the, to him, you are a son or a daughter of God. You are the apple of his eye. When we start this with a prayer of giving your heart to Jesus, know this. He does what you can't do. He makes you one of his. And I pray that as your journey goes on, you'll fall in love with the Father and know his heart. That no matter what pig pen that you end up in, perhaps, or walk away, no matter where you're at, he's there. He loves you. And his desire is always for you, not against you. We're going to close with this prayer. And if you haven't asked Jesus Christ into your heart, I'd like you to close your eyes. If I was to ask you the question, is Jesus the Lord of your life? Not religion, not church attendance, not your denomination, whatever that is, or non-denomination, denomination. Have you given your heart to him? If you're not sure or you don't know or you, the answer is no, you need to pray this prayer. We'll all pray this together. And this is the start. I pray that you don't walk away. Father, I thank you right now for every person that's going to pray this prayer. You meet us right where we're at. So pray this with me. Say, Dear God, I invite your Son, Jesus, come into my heart. I give you my life. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to the City Church Podcast. If you enjoyed this message or God worked through you in any way, then please take a moment to contact us through our website at city-church.net or email us your feedback at info at city-church.net.